All right, so let's get this out of the way right at the beginning. Yes. This was 1974. Yeah. I don't think that there is any way in hell that you could name an episode of a Saturday morning children's cartoon, The Jihad, anymore. That's completely true, yeah. This was a weird episode to watch, I think precisely because they were using that word. Yeah, which, and let's face it, though times were different in 74 versus now, that was still a very charged word at that time. Especially at that time. Was it, though? Uh, let me let me put it this way. Things in the Islamic world have always been bad, but in the 70s, like, Iran was going through some stuff. Yeah, but that wasn't really until, like, 79. Oh, you're right. During the entire, you know, that, 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 that started in 78. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess if any, if anything else, you know, the oil embargo was in 1973. So that's something. Um, yeah, I just, you know. It, Either it, way, it's it, a charged word. Yeah, it's a charged word. And I think the idea of uh, a bird race um, having a holy war because somebody stole one of their, their holy relics um, is not is, just is, one is, of their holy relics, like the soul of their prophet. Yeah. Like the, 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 you know, obviously we can make a lot of Islamic parallels here. It's the equivalent of if someone stole the Kaaba. Like, that. that's how major this is. Well, I thought it was interesting because, you know, I think the word, the use of the word jihad in this episode was, was more incidental than anything else. I don't think that um, this episode was trying to draw any sort of parallels between, you know, the score and, 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 and Muslims. No, again, the use of the word uh, they're is just, the main reason I'm using it. But. Yeah, there, there just is really no other good word for holy war in English that is not jihad. Um, yeah, there is crusade. I mean, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I mean, right. it, it has point a, taken. Put it this way: it has a it has a much different connotation but, in the but world. Yeah. But if you're using it to, it's it's a lot less charged in well, Western I do, society. Okay, that's interesting. But I but I think that if you look at it in those terms, if they had called this the crusade instead, I think that there's still a residue of. Of goodness about yeah, that. I would say and, that's a you, you think of somebody who's against all odds. You know, she's crusading for morals. You know, something like that is kind of what you think. Like, you know, yeah. And so I think if yeah, if you would use that crusade word for the vote, right? Like that. That's interesting. Actually, I had made that connection. So of course, by calling it the jihad, whether or not this episode is about Muslims, and I'm definitely coming down the side of it is not about Muslims at all. The 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 use of the word is interesting because it it immediately paints this as. Um, a bad thing. They're trying to avoid yes, yeah. and the fact that they need to go. It, it's revealed that this is the they've essentially stolen the device themselves um, in order to. Well, this has been stolen. We don't know who, and we're going to just go crazy until it's you know until we find this, and it gives them an excuse. The fact that they have to do such underhanded. It, you know, kind of demonstrates how morally unjust this is. At the end, they yeah. keep everything secret because they say if they found out that this was happening, then let me, you know, they basically say if they found, if anyone found out the truth, it would put a genuine version of this because they, on the opposite, you know, all of the other races would be ganging up on the score because you tried to start a war. You need to be sanctioned for that. So. Well, it's weird, right? Because there's a couple things going on there. Not, number one, um, you know, if we if we can talk about the the score for a moment, I think that 
you know, in a lot of respects, you can see them as an analog to Vulcans because right at the beginning of the episode Mm. and the score are those bird people that we actually saw one of in yesteryear, uh, who was one of the scientists in front of the guardian of forever, if you remember. Yeah. And they had not given, they had not been given names or or any sort of, um, uh, uh, societal implications at that point. I think they were just bird people and who knows, maybe they just used this animation again because they had it. Um, but it is interesting because it does actually tell us who they are and gives us some sort of context for them. You know, they they talk about at the very beginning of the episode that the score were very violent. They were uh, warriors. They they started a lot of wars, and they had um, this guy whose soul was stolen, um, who basically reformed their society and made them uh, peaceful, made them you know sort of scientists and these kind of things, which is almost exactly what happened with Vulcans. Um, and so, I could see a different version of this episode about. Vulcans. And yet, I don't think we could because one of the uh, the major implication of I- I- in the episode, they say, you know, the larger, you know, the, this they're keeping this theft very quiet from the from even the entirety of the score. Assumedly, only the innerest of inner circles know that about mm-hmm. the theft in the first place. And he basically says, if they find out that that's stolen, that's immediately going to pr- provoke a, fo- a war. Um, the fact that he seems so the prince seems so resentful of of this religion the implication is that they're kind of just waiting to throw it off i've never gotten the sense that any of the vulcans resent logic or have a problem with it they in fact have used logic as a way to propel their civilization and themselves to even greater heights the again vulcan society is very often seen to be you know, just appreciation of art and the intellect and all of those things and exploration and scientific curiosity, all very good things. They seem to be happy about it. The score don't seem to... It seems like this religion is kind of a veneer on something and this, they're looking for an excuse to throw it out. Yeah, and okay, so let's take that one step further then. The score are kind of a lesser Vulcan or maybe a, maybe a cautionary tale because of course Surak wasn't so much a religious figure or icon or prophet or any of those things as he was almost the exact opposite of that. I mean, and, he was a, I got the sense he was a philosopher who was very influential, right. but you know, beyond just, he had a, his, you know, his philosophy did change the world because it was so, you know, logical because it made so sense because it worked but beyond yeah. that he was just a vulcan who had an idea and so maybe then what we can take from that is 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 the attempt by someone in in the score society to basically subjugate people through religion uh doesn't really work it's not a good thing people don't like it and no matter what your intentions are at the end of the day they will chafe against that it's in in some respects yeah it's people are don't want to be told what to do but if they come to that decision to enlightenment by themselves i mean this is a you know religion versus philosophy argument that's well it's 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 religion versus it's religion as control and i think if you again if you if you compare it to vulcan mysticism or vulcan religion because vulcans do have religion and, and vulcans do have mysticism and you know we haven't seen too much of it um yet but we certainly have seen sort of hints of it. And I well, think my... even if you go back as far as uh, a muck time from, from the second season of, of the original series, where that's our first real glimpse of Vulcan, the, the planet and and the society. And we see that 
Um, they have all of these traditions. They have all of these uh, uh, mannerisms. Um, they're very formal in, in what they do. Um, they have a lot of ritual. And well, I think it makes sense because they use that. They use kind of the trappings of religion um, as as a way to respect tradition and sort of kind of like hone hone their emotions well, in, in, a, in a direction that is beneficial to them instead of letting them just bleed out into everyday life. Well, let me ask you this. Do Vulcans have, you know, God or gods or is it a, because they are certainly, because yes, religious, they are a religious society. And yet I don't get the sense that they are a theocratic society. No, I think it may be, it seemed a little more of almost a Buddhism, you know, analog where it is a religious practice by far, but it's not a, there is no divine, you know, there's no god figure. It's not a personal uh, religion it, thing. With the uh, you say you say that it's spiritual, whereas I think again with, with yeah, it is. It is no less mystical. It's no less concerned with the fate of what is beyond us. Yeah, but it it, it finds a you know it doesn't presume a the the, the score seem to have a more you know Judeo Christian Islamic kind of religion where it is yeah. an actual god figure. Yeah, okay. no, I, I no, I agree with that totally, and yeah. I think that's one of the one of the things that the episode is trying to ho- is trying to like get home is that the score do have this kind of very very strict religion. You know, I don't know, maybe they're Orthodox Jews, or you could say you know Catholics, or you. I mean, you could like, there's some sort of fundamentalist where there are a lot of again a lot of rituals, and it seems a bit more pros- prescriptive and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I think that's right. Their their religion is proscriptive. And I think the Vulcan religion is not. A way of control. And the Vulcan is more of a way of understanding. Yeah. 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 Leaving that aside for a minute, I think it's interesting that this episode, again, is set up sort of like as a quest. And we have this, this mysterious alien race who brings other uh, representatives of other races together and in sort of this secret mission to to get the Holy Relic back. And the interesting thing is I was watching this episode and I was sort of like, okay, this is kind of boring. Like there's not a lot really here. And again, just like in um, uh, the episode we talked about uh, last week, the eye of the beholder, there's long stretches of the episode, which is basically just them encountering uh, increasingly hostile alien creatures. Um, they're driving around in a convertible on a planet that has snow and lava, which doesn't seem to be the greatest idea. Um, Are and you then, going where I hope you're going with this? I, I don't know. I guess you'll have to find out. Okay. Uh, and uh, so at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, where the hell is the Federation in all of this? Yeah, you know what? Like what? Like what are they doing? Like what? Who are these people? Like are the score members of the Federation? Are these other races members of the Federation? Why is there like some wild witch woman who is apparently a human involved? Like where is she from? I just the the whole Junglevania. This this I love the bug guy and the I okay. See this episode more than any other episode makes me wish I was playing a Star Trek role playing game because it is set up as you know you they go you you can picture the exact setup they go onto a planet they find this alien who's like I need the best of the best on this mission will you accept this quest yes and you get these guest party members you know Spock has like all this intelligence you have the lady who has like sneak and like you know trail skills and then like if you have a lock pick you have to click the green guy on it you know but the other guy has like a huge strength stat and it's like kirk's like got all well read and it's like and you could picture how this would work as a really awesome video game because 
all of the different fights or the different obstacles, though it's, those would be a- obstacles that would be interesting to figure out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know. I think there's something to that, and I think, yeah. of course, the the quest format in general for stories is 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 well worn, of course, and it's sort of time tested, and we get that all the time. I mean, going back to you know, I don't know, Beowulf or something. I mean, this you know, the Odyssey. I mean, this is like you know, like this is this is something that, again, that just comes my, up again and again in, in in human culture. I guess this does bring up my why hasn't there been a good Star Trek video game? Because there really never has. And... No, there has. I mean, there there have been a couple. Um, you know, and mostly they were sort of adventure games uh, from from like the the early nineties. There were a few like uh, wasn't there like, like a... Star Trek Judgment Rights I think was one of them okay. and, and and there's a couple of other ones that are that are fairly good. Um, but yeah, you would think it would be very natural to have natural to have a very fairly lengthy epic role playing adventure kind of game for Star Trek. You think it would be super? It would be a very easy thing to do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. I'm not super familiar with the Star Trek video games in general. Yeah, um, I've certainly played some of them, but, but that's the thing. None I. You and I, and I especially know a lot about video games, and I get the sense that if any of those were a classic, we would know about it by now. Yeah, although it does make me want to maybe um, play Star Trek Judgment Rights, or I don't know, maybe we could, I don't know, maybe it's on uh, Good Old Games or something, and we could do like a... I was going to say, at at some point, if it ever becomes available, you know, maybe we could play it and do like a special bonus episode of Trek About About a Video Game. Um. Even though we are sort of talking about a video game in, in this episode. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I, I will say that an imaginary video game that I'm making up as we're talking right now is more interesting than this episode exactly is. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we can talk a lot about about the, the, the score and their society and what it's like and what it's not like and why it's like this. But the episode as presented to us is, is kind of tedious. It uh, doesn't really have a lot going for it. Um, I do like the end of it, though, where they it, it, it's a little unclear actually what is going on at the end of this episode, I think, because it's revealed that that what's whatever the scorer's name is yeah. um, in this episode actually stole it and is is trying. He's like the, the secret prince or something. Well, they, they, they knew he was the prince of the. Yeah. And, and so he's, the, anyway, he's their leader and the, the uh, he's trying to jumpstart. The, the 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 return to glory for the score. Yeah, the the you know so the implication is bef- you know prior to this episode he sought out this Catwoman and you and know, what is this show's obsession with Catwoman by the way? What this is, is any like show's this obsession is, with cat ladies or cat cat people in general. This is like the third heterosexuality man. This is like the third different cat person we've seen in this show. What about and there were some in the original series in uh like the 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 Robert Black episode. Those are not cat people. She was a lady who became a cat. And then she became a cat again. Oh, that was in the Operation Earth Annihilate one. Yeah, that was. But then Catspaw was also a cat lady as well. I hated Catspaw. Yeah, this the, I, I think just in general, maybe cats were something that... You know, it's one of those things that I wonder about sometimes where you know how you get um, like sort of cultural knowledge yeah. or cultural obsessions that then go away. And I just it makes me think like maybe cats in general were some sort of like cultural thing at this time period. I mean and they've just been lost it. Very recently as well that we still haven't gotten out of cat phases again. Yeah. I mean in, in the same way that like zombies are really popular right now. Really weird. Vampires were really popular a few years ago. You know, these sort of things just come you know, come in come in cycles or something. I don't know. Yeah, so anyway these cat ladies are supposed to be this super advanced race so this prince assumedly went over to her and said you know gee i've got this crazy problem you know nobody you know they've stolen our holiest relic we need and from there you know this goes but he's taking it so that way 
an, eventually with enough time, someone will naturally discover that it's been missing. And then they will have, you know, a war will start again. As I said, once they find out this is missing, they're apparently going to go berserk. Sure. So that's, you know, that's what he wants. Apparently they're very tightly wound, these score. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they should call them Springs. <laughs> Uh, uh, but I did like the very end because, um, you know, Kirk is basically like, Hey Spock, how recently have you done your, your, um, zero combat training? And Spock is like last week with you captain. And then they just like go to town and they're just like bouncing off walls and, and like running into the score and zero gravity and stuff. I don't know. I just kind of like the concept that Starfleet requires like zero gravity combat training because it's one of those things. It's very useful. Yeah. Like there's a lot of stuff in the animated series, which sort of seems half baked or just kind of like, well, we're cartoons, so we can get away with this kind of stuff. But then there's stuff in it that like. It's like, oh, that actually fleshes out the the sort of world of Star Trek in an interesting way. Yeah, like that's that's and that's one of those things. When there is, I mean, we saw in the first season there were a couple of moments in the in Charlie X they were at the gym. Remember? Yeah. Um. So yeah, that is a very obvious thing for what is Kirk doing on a day off? Well, he is working out. Right. He needs to. Yeah, he needs to. They do. Probably everybody needs to be in top physical conditioning. Absolutely. Unfortunately, William Shatner did not get that memo. <laughs> well, once you get above a certain age, it's a little difficult to keep in shape. I saw this, though. It was a photo of um, uh, of Kirk and the, the lady from The Lady Captain and Patrick Stewart. And, you know, Shatner and The Lady Captain had gotten a little heavier. And Patrick Stewart is very thin and said, apparently, one had a gym on it. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, uh, well, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about um, the jihad? You know, it was just I love the little bug guy, and I love how I did like him. I love how the lizard doesn't like, and he don't like each other at first, but then they become friends, and he's like saving each other. And they, well, that, they, that's like how in D and D games where the dwarf and like the elf don't yeah! get along, and then eventually they become best friends. Except fuck elves, not literally though. No, ew, ew, ew. The final thing that I want to say about the Jihad, and, and then we can move on to the last episode of the first season of the animated series, Aww. is what the hell is up with how women run in this show? <laughs> what the hell is with the way anybody moves? Did you see but, the but lizard like, guy saunter? Well, yeah, but, you know, he's just a saucy lizard. There's uh, nothing wrong with that. Well, she's a saucy lady. No, they like, and this happened to Ahura, uh, uh, you know, last week in uh, the Slaver Weapon as well, where she's running away from the, the, the cat people. And they're just like doing this weird, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it, it doesn't even really appear that they're moving all that fast. It certainly doesn't look like they're running, like their footsteps are really close together. And like, I haven't pump- noticed this. It's bizarre because I'll like, make they, a point to look at it next time. I, I hope that women run again in one of these episodes. <laughs> Um, oh, women run from everything. Have you seen them? Mice, spiders. Whoa, whoa. Let's calm down. Because uh, the men are animated to run like normal, you know, people run. I don't get it. I mean, I, it just makes me think that like how Sutherland was kind of misogynistic a little bit. I'm I don't know. Sure his he was. He was a colorblind misogynist. That's all I'm saying. I hope he's not still alive. <laughs> he if is Hal, if a Hal, colorblind misogynist. If Hal Sutherland's widow wife or daughters well that implies he's straight or granddaughters are listening to this i apologize and also chances are he is straight because 95 percent of humanity is straight yeah but if he's dead he's not straight anymore oh my god all right so he's just bones let's let's close this one out so what would you give this um i'd give this a six i liked the 
extra races and characters. Again, I like seeing aliens. It's fun. I love the little green guy. There were a couple nice moments. I'll give it five jihads. That's a lot of jihads. It is. All right, well, let's move on to The Time Trap. So this probably had some of the best voice acting we've ever heard. The best as in worst. I loved the psionic captain. I'm seeing. Yeah, well, like, what was with the women voices on this episode? Look, I'm, I mean, you know, this is the thing about, about the animated series is that basically Nichelle Nichols and Majel Barrett did all the voices for all the female characters. And they're not voice actors. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going to come out and say it like they're, they're, they're fine actresses. They're, they're competent. And I think Nichelle Nichols is, is probably a lot better at, at acting than, than Rachel Barrett ever was or, or, or would be. Um, but, and we can talk about that a little later when we get to Lobox on Troy in, in the next generation. But, you know, I just think in general, it's a different skill. It's set, a different really. skill set. They're, they're not voice actresses and, you know, they don't have the, the ability to, to come up with a large variety of different sounding yeah. voices. Yeah. Which, you know, again, also maybe she was constipated. I don't know. <laughs> um, this was not a good episode, but it brought up a lot of interesting things in context of the episode that it's pretty much a ripoff of, Arena. Okay, I didn't really get that connection, so maybe you should explain yourself. All right, so Arena features these beings called the Metrons, and they're all just Correct. like, you're fighting around us. We don't want you fighting, so what we're going to do is we're going to put you on an island, and you're going to fight to the death, and... Oh, you've shown mercy. Well, maybe your species is okay after all. We will let you go. Okay. Now, one of the things we mentioned in that episode was that the Metrons are extremely, uh, they're daddy, basically. They have a morality. They have a system of behaviors that they find reprehensible. And if someone in their space is violating them, they are for their own good going to give them this test. And... Eventually, Kirk is allowed to escape because he has passed, because he has shown that he's perhaps worthy of consideration as a higher being. You would agree with that? Most of it. In the basic gist. For, yeah. You know. So this episode, you have the, they get trapped into this area where all these different aliens who have been natural enemies to each other over the years, who have, you know, have their own disagreements. They're in this essentially this pocket in space, they call it. And they said that, you know, we eventually realized that we have to, you know, it makes more sense to just be peaceful because we're all in this together. And yes, that's completely logical. If you are trapped in this, it doesn't make sense to fight with each other. Even the Klingons and the humans realize that to a degree. The Klingons still want to get over them, but given them a few centuries here, they will probably come around. Right. Um, the, and they do have sanctions for violence within their society in Elysia, and it's a very reasonable, essentially, it's time out. It's jail time. It's, you know, a society is allowed to create its own justice system, and I don't think there is anybody who would find that unreasonable or cruel or unnecessary punishment. Sure. Again, a century seems a lot, but once they explain that time goes quickly there, it's, maybe it is like a five-year sentence. Yeah. Um... Here you have a morality which is created by the people themselves in order to – as a response to a situation. And even though at the end the, the situation that the Metrons want to bring about and the Elysians have brought about is very – it's very similar, a nonviolent society, the Metrons is top down. The Elysians are more democratic. 
yeah. I think that's very interesting. And I think the, the while it's not a great episode, I think it's enough of a twist on that. And I think they make enough – they make it work. And you have – I can accept that the Klingons and the humans are the only two groups to come in at the same time. And so – Everybody else just kind of gives up, so you just kind of have this cooperation. Just I can accept that Kirk is super smart. Um, I can I can accept that no one else wants to leave because even though this main woman misses Orion, what they have is pretty good. Well, for the purposes of the ep- of the episode and Star Trek in general, of course, our heroes have to succeed, or else there would be no show. Of course. Um, that said, I mean, yeah, I, I you got a little bit more out of this episode than I did. You know, I, I can kind of see where you're going. Yeah, with I still the, don't think it's a great episode, but yeah, it's not a great episode. But you know, I don't know. I I, I can see where you're going with the arena comparisons in in some respect. I, I it's not a complete analog, of course, because yeah. the Metrons created um, the 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 environment for 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 Kirk and the Gorn to fight, and the Elysians did not. I no. mean, they're 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 trapped here. Um, which is, 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 is a fair thing. Everybody do, in, in Elysia, everyone is there for the same exact reason. They have, fate has dealt them the same bad hand. They are on the same plane. And I think, you know, in, in, in some respects, the, the, the even existence of the Elysian society in this episode is a testament to the, to the strongest values that, that Star Trek has, which is, uh, anybody can get along with anybody yeah. else. Anybody can cooperate. You can form a society with anybody and I mean, you know, even the the ruling council um, has like one representative from each mm-hmm. race, and you see like a you see a Tellarite, you see an Andorian, you see a human, you see a, a Vulcan, you see a Vandorian, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, uh, the guy from the Survivor. Yeah, um, yeah I you see s- you see like a bear guy. Um, there's a <laughs> there's a Gorn, which I like. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, so another a, uh, arena callback. Yeah, no, totally. I could see a much more cynical show. They go into this place and. It's a constant war zone. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, mm-hmm. they, they again, the implication is there is that, yes, it took a while to get to that point, And I'm sure the beginning days of it, there was some strife. But, you know, again, this then is again, almost- then again, we're there. Right. Because like the I think the implication is and one of the problems I had with this episode and these kind of things in general is how likely is it that this many ships would enter this extreme like like it's the bermuda triangle though i mean it's it's the bermuda triangle was famous enough to be a legend where you know that's basically what this is i don't need it to be realistic i can assume it's a haunted space graveyard but the implication i got from it is that it's not even the whole triangle it's just this one specific point in space which seemed kind of weird to me so if you okay if you if you accept that for purposes of the episode which you kind of have to assume anybody who goes into the general area finds an anomaly and they pinpoint the spot eventually well the other the other two klingons that go in there so stupid it is stupid um it's not a great episode that that, you know, I can I can see them never really having any problems because, of course, one ship would end up there. Then maybe three centuries later, another ship would come. They were the sort of nucleus of this society. Then who knows? Maybe they were waiting yeah. around for 2000 years for a third ship to show up. So I think, yeah, as is- as you said, it was it was, uh, you know, implied in the episode that no other ship had come at the same time as another yeah. ship. So, so of course, they would really have no problem with keeping control of the society because it's a very... It's a similar situation to what the, the Enterprise went through. Yeah. They get there. They find, okay, well, this is our society. After a couple of weeks of raging, if they show any violence, well, they just keep putting them into stasis until they learn. Um, 
That said, I really liked that the council is very reasonable at the end. When there is no so when 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 they arrest they are going to arrest the klingons they are going to put them under a this stasis for a century because they have been fighting and kirk says you know look we need them to get out of here we want to get out of this society home is very important to us and while the lesions debate for a few minutes you know should we let them try and they figure well what's the harm either they'll get out or they'll realize that they're stuck here and they'll eventually come around you know that convinces them they aren't doing this out of malice or out of a desire to control because if they they do genuinely i think want to create a happy society i think they like that they're living in a very diverse place where they're doing different kinds of performances every night and eating all this weird food you know well, I, that's what they say i mean it's it's perfection basically yeah, i mean kirk, kirk says a couple times that they have a perfect society which i think for the purposes of the episode is trying to sell something through dialogue that i don't think is really there because you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that that living on a spaceship for for thousands of years is really a perfect society. But you know, again, right. for the purposes of let's assume that they the dances are really good. Um, yeah, but yeah, the, the the council immediately says, "Well, you know, that makes sense. We don't want to be vindictive towards the Klingons. We just want a good society, and that's an element that's unacceptable. Exile is just as good of a thing, really." Right, they don't have a problem with it. I thought that they were going to, that the council was somehow going to be an obstacle. I like that the council is genuinely benign. Yeah, I I can see that. And I mean, I think a large part of that also has to do with the fact that the head of the council is a Vulcan. I mean, let's not forget that. You know, we... They're logical. They they don't have a problem with, Mm -hmm. with someone who makes a logical argument for something. And honestly, I don't think they're super interested in new members in their society. No, that's it. They they are welcoming to new members because it's a one-way gate and what are they going to do? But Right, they're not going to blow them up. I mean, there's no reason for that. If Kirk is not going to be happy, and I think he fairly convinces them that he won't be happy, why would they force him against his will? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's funny, too, because Kirk and the, and the Enterprise are really the drivers of action in this episode, and the mm-hmm. Klingons are there almost as... An afterthought. I mean, I think that they could have been Romulans. They could, it could have been a Gorn yeah. ship. It could have been anything, really. Um, they and, just needed an enemy they can work with. And I think it's interesting, too, because if you look at the very end of the episode where um, there's that weird thing where Spock is pretending to be happy about the Vulcans <laughs> to try and trick them into some sort of false sense of security. or It's almost as though Spock is playing mind games with the Klingons, yeah. which is fine. I'll go with that. Uh, and I think he, I think he suspects them more than anybody else. Yes. Um, it's interesting because McCoy raises objections about trusting the Klingons, but Kirk really doesn't. And I think that has more to do with the fact that Kirk realizes that they don't have any other options. Yeah. Um, and of course, at the end of the episode, the Klingons do double cross them and they make a sabotage pill, right? They, (laughs) They make a, they make a bomb pill. And luckily, the the, the Megan. telepath Megan. Uh, thank I you. I see a bomb on the ship, and it's like you're a creepy lady. Yeah, um, that they save the day, and they realize that this is a problem. Spock throws it in the eject thing, and then <laughs> everything's happy, and the episode ends. And it's interesting because I think it's interesting the episode ends in the way it does. And really, it almost felt like they were running out of time because I. You know, yeah. it's like, whoa, they're, they're still, they still need to take care of the Klingons, but they never do. Um, 
And I think they could have sold the, the, the episodes ending a little harder because there was this implication in the, in the episode, and maybe it was made explicit and maybe it wasn't, that home is preferable to perfection. And I that, can definitely see that, yeah. And that they want to go home even though it has problems because that's where they feel valued. Mm-hmm. That's where they feel at peace. That That's where they enjoy themselves the most. And that perfection, while perhaps a goal, is not really obtainable. And if you ever do get there as close as you can, it becomes a very sterile experience. And if there's something that we can even link back to something like this side of paradise. Yeah, that's what it's making me think of. You know, where we talked a lot about that. Um, I think that this is one more step towards that. It's just another step of this is not an appropriate society. And I don't think Kirk tries to really fix anything because what is he going to do? But I think it totally is in his character not to want to stay there. Well, it's it's, and and that I completely agree with what the difference between this and the side of paradise is that obviously in the side of paradise, it was this spore. They had a. Uh, an occult presence within them which was causing them to act unnaturally here you have this is just general social change this is a response to a disaster situation this is creation of a society where there is none as just a way of survival and i think part of the reason he doesn't try to dismantle it or doesn't try to bring them out of that or doesn't force them out is because Uh, They are genuinely happy there. You know, for Kirk, it's not his way to just kind of watch Ryan girls dance every day. But if that's what just people want to do, what's the harm? Yeah. What does he care, really? Um, And I think the end of the episode was very interesting because, uh, you know, Kirk says – someone says something about what about the Klingons. And and Kirk basically says, eh – I mean, that's what he does. He's like, we're home. What does yeah. it matter? And put it this way, the Klingon, the, the message that the Klingon sent to the home world immediately was that, ha ha, I single-handedly got out of this and blew up Captain Kirk. The Klingons, the second he gets home, he is going to be decorated as this war hero, the guy who finally took down Captain Kirk. He got, he figured out the mystery of this triangle. About 15 minutes later, Captain Kirk is going to send his congratulations to Klingon for that captain for, you know, and they're going to wonder why he lied. Right. I I think it's very, It's that Klingon is going to get his very quickly. It's not going to end well for him. Yeah. So that fight, uh, yeah, at that point, we, we, we were in this situation. Let's just rest for a little bit. That'll take care of itself. What is really the point of it? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. In a way, that was kind of a... It would have been a bit of violence against the Klingon if you were to get on that. Maybe Kirk has learned the, gee, a nonviolent society, a working together society isn't really bad. Well, I don't think that Kirk ever thinks it's bad. I mean, he's a member of the Federation. He's a yeah, Starfleet officer. He has gone through the arena day. He knows... he Violence is not his first solution no. or even his, his fifth solution. It is a last resort for him. And, you know, certainly he's human. He has his faults and foibles like everybody else. I think one of his one of his faults is Klingons. And he does have sort of a, 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 a prejudice towards Klingons. Yeah. Um, something that is made, I think, much more explicit in, in the original series movies. And that'll be interesting to talk to, you know, when we get to them. But 
Yeah, I think that he just kind of realizes yeah. that there's no point to it. He really, And he did work with that captain, and they did figure it out together, so... It is a tiny bit of a bond they have. Yeah. Maybe that's, yeah. you know, that, 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 that's enough. You know, eventually Klingons and humans work together. It's tiny moments like this that it's every moment, every person who decides, no, I'm not going to chase after the Klingons. We'll just let them go. It's what the hell is the point? And that is how the first season of the animated series ends. I'm going to give it seven Klingons because that was kind of nice. I didn't like the episode that much. I don't know that I would really go out of my way to watch it again, but talking about it, I think it's a fairly decent episode. I'll give it a six. This maybe would be better as a full series episode. If this had been a yeah. original series episode uh, along the lines of Tower of Babel with uh, that kind of costuming things, this might have been really great. Yeah, that's true. All right, so next week we start the second season of the animated series, which is very short. It's only six episodes, uh, with the Pirates of Orion and Bem. Uh, 